lot of uh, ground to cover here this morning, and so we'll uh, open up in a, a word of prayer and, and get started in our last few chapters on the, uh, the book of Revelation. And let us pray. Father God, we thank you for um, this exercise we've been going through this past year and looking through the New Testament. Father, you have given us so much information, and we've had a blessed time together um, discussing your word, studying your word, and we are so thankful for your great faithfulness to us in this past year, 2023. And as we look ahead in the year to come, we pray for increased um, grace and to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray that you would bless our time together here this morning, and uh, we just thank you once again and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start off first by um, thanking the pastors and the elders here at Grace Bible Church for this um, exercise of reading through the New Testament together and, and studying together on Sunday mornings. I, I trust it's been uh, beneficial and, and a good exercise for everybody. Um, in the year ahead, we're going to be looking at the, um, the Old Testament. And if you haven't already, there are some new booklets um, at the back of the sanctuary and uh, new notes for the first week of uh, 2024. So we trust that God will continue to bless us as we look to his word going forward in the new year. We've, um, this uh, book of Revelation, it's been uh, fast paced, a lot of information, a lot of changing scenes as we go along. And I think we can all admit at times, especially if you're reading through for the first time or two, that it can be almost overwhelming when you're, when you're reading so many of these things. And yeah, we're actually, you're in good company because I think the Apostle John, when he was getting these revelations, he too uh, was a bit overwhelmed at times. When he was seeing some of these scenes, he would um, say things like, well, I, I saw something that looks like this or, or look like that. And as we were reading these last um, seven chapters this week, there were a couple of times where a mighty angel was before John and um, John would fall on his feet before the angel, and the angel said, don't, don't do that, don't bow before me. Not only once, but twice he did it. If you look at the last chapter, um, chapter 22, John falls down on his feet before the angel, and the angel says, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Uh, I'm a fellow servant like you are. Worship God. And we have a tendency in our lives to worship other things besides God. Even the apostle uh, John here um, was uh, overwhelmed, and you know, but you know, the worship set him. Uh, the angel set him straight, and uh, we are to look to God and to worship Him alone. He is our God, our Lord, and our King. Well, we've been looking at the um, the seven seal judgments of the Lord God. Um, we looked at the first six, and we remember the first seal um, as it was opened. Um, the only one who is worthy to open up. The scroll is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the first seal was open, and we see the, the Antichrist on the scene uh, promising peace, peace. And I, I couldn't help but think, taking a look at our world today, um, how ready the people of this world are for new leadership, younger leadership, someone to come on the scene who is charismatic and wise and, and can offer a peace, which we see in the book of Revelation would be a false peace, because we see in the seals the second and third seal, um, we see it, it, it turns into war very, very quickly during this time of revelation. 
And then we go on to the time of the, uh, the, great, um, um, the great Tribulation, the last um, seal that is opened. Now, if you look at the seven seals, the seventh seal contains the seven trumpet judgments, which we read about um, last time when we studied. And then the um, seventh trumpet contains the seven bowl judgments, which we'll look at today. And these are all part of that second part of the seven-year tribulation, the last three and a half years, which are part of the, the great tribulation. And this is all part of that transition. And as we look back at our theme verse, it was Revelation eleven fifteen, where it says, the kingdoms of this world have been, become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and his reign shall be forever and ever. So we're going to start off looking at chapter 16, and I'm going to... We're going to just look at some of the highlights of these seven bold judgments, the last judgments of God's wrath upon sinners on the earth. And if you want to turn with me to uh, chapter 16 of Revelation, I'm going to read just the last verse of uh, chapter 15, verse 8, going into a 16.1. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And just to summarize uh, these bowls, you see the first angel here. He went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And it says here, Harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worship this image. I thought it was interesting here to note that it's coming upon those who have taken on the mark of the beast. There are going to be some who are coming to Christ during that time of tribulation, and they've been admonished not to take the mark of the beast. So it's implied here that God's, these harmful sores are coming upon those who disobeyed God. And I think there's some degree of protection for those who are living through this time, um, who are believers. The second angel poured out his bowl, and it became like blood of a corpse that was poured into the sea, and every living thing died that was in the sea. We see here that God's judgments are growing in intensity. We saw earlier in some of the judgments that he had poured out. Um, we, we saw like meteors or asteroids being coming into the, the seas and into the rivers, and it said a third of the living creatures in the sea Died. Well, here it's being intensified to everything in the sea uh, died when the seas and the rivers became blood. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and springs of waters, and they became blood. If you go down to verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the people were scorched by fierce heat. This is the ultimate global warming here uh, the people are suffering through. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and the kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish. I think we see here maybe it's an attack on the grid system, on the electrical grid, and everything goes dark. Um, it's a time of great darkness, and people are in anguish. The sixth angel <coughs> excuse me, poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and the river was dried up to prepare for the kings of the east. And then it goes on to say that there were demonic spirits performing signs to go abroad to the kings of the whole world 
to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And it says here, blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on. We know that those of us who are believers and believers during this time of tribulation, they have their robes washed in the blood of the Lamb, and they are clean, and they are children of God, and they are to stay faithful. But there's going to be this assembling of the kings and the nations of the world, and it's demonically inspired here. You see here where there's demonic spirits working in the kings, the nations of the world. Just like I think demons are working in our world nowadays, you see some of the atrocities and the violence and the wars. It's going to be intensified even more so during this great tribulation. And all the kings, the kings and the nations will come um, to Israel to a place that is called Armageddon. This is an actual place in northern Israel, which is a great plain. And it says here in that last day that the nations will come from the east and from all areas to come against Jerusalem, against God's people, and ultimately against the Lamb of God when Jesus comes again to the earth. Um, that'll be the great battle of Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl, and it says here at the end of verse 17, they say, it is done. And I think when we're reading this, we almost get a sense of relief. Wow, it's been a lot of judgments coming on the face of the earth, and it is done until the Lord Jesus actually comes again for that one great last judgment when he comes to the earth. But it says here, 18, after it was done, there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. And it says, as a result, the cities of the nations fell. Um, God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Not just to drink the wine of his wrath, but the fury of his wrath against sinners and against sin and rebellion in this world. And it follows here with great hailstones, a hundred pounds each, falling on the people of the earth. But well, we see the severity of God's judgments. And we see in our questions, we're going to start off looking at Revelation 16. As you were reading this week, what terms does the angel use in verses 5 through 7 to justify the seven bowls of God's wrath upon the earth? Brenda. Right. They are, you see in verse 5, they're just, and in verse 7, they are just and true. You know, those in heaven have no problem with God's judgments. They know that God is faithful and just and true. The people on earth may be thinking, oh, what is going on here on this earth with all these judgments? But the angels in heaven and those in heaven have no problem with this. Um, what does verse 6 say, too? It is what they what? It's what they deserve. Um, you know, we, we have a high view of man sometimes, and we think, oh, well, there's, there's so-called good people. How, would, how could God judge those people who are unbelievers or so-called decent good people? But no, uh, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else and is, is worthy of God's judgment. It is what they deserve, and just and true are your judgments. And then you look at this, after all of these severe judgments on the earth, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, 
It says here, after the severe judgments mentioned in all these verses we read today, how did the people respond in verses 11 and 21? Cynthia. right unbelievable it seems right when we look at this on the face of things um, we would hope that people would be you know repenting and mourning for their sins and crying out to God for forgiveness and mercy but instead they continue on in their sin what does this um, tell us about the condition of the human heart and how does this humble us anyone think about that What is the condition of the human heart? It is what? Wicked, deceitful above all else. Brenda? Right. And, and even those of us who have been redeemed, we have a new nature. We still struggle with the old flesh. And um, I remember one time I was uh, listening to my beloved pastor when I was a young man back in my 20s. And he had a sermon one time and he said, I see within my own flesh that I'm capable of all sorts of various sins. And he, he listed them. And I thought, no, 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 no not, not, not my pastor. He couldn't be doing these sorts of things. But he was humble. He saw the conditions of his flesh. He knew he was redeemed. He was a new creation in Christ. But we need to keep our heart, as in Proverbs, keep our heart with all vigilance. For out of it flow the wellsprings of life. And we need to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. So we need to walk humbly before God and uh, be diligent to keep our heart um, trusting the Lord. We move on to chapter 17 and 18. And it talks about um, Babylon, and it talks about the city of Babylon. And as we read this in chapter 17 and 18, Babylon is part of that corrupted religious political and economic world system that dominates the earth. Um, Babylon, we remember back in the Old Testament, the Tower of Babel. Remember when um, back there in Genesis, when the people built that tower and they wanted to make a name for themselves and they disregarded God and his commandments and didn't uh, pay any heed to, to God and they built this tower as a testament to their, what they could do. And what did God do? He scrambled their languages, and they dispersed through the face of the earth. And it was called the, um, the Tower of Babel, and that's where we get the original um, region, the area of what is now called uh, Babylon. You know, if you look on the, the map now, if you look at Iraq, um, southern Iraq, there's an actual city of Babylon. And um, so I think it, it talks here about the um, Babylon as being the world system, but it also talks in Chapter 18 being an actual city of uh, Babylon. And it says here, as we were reading chapter 17, how is Babylon depicted in verse 1 and 5 of chapter 17? What is the chapter? What is the term given to this world system? Brenda? It's depicted as a horrible place, uh, the mother of harlots and abomination of the earth. Yeah, yeah, the mother of harlots. Um, it says the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her. She's described as the great prostitute. Um, um, and as you said, the prostitute of earth's abominations. Now, the kings 
the nations of the earth, of course, can be guilty of that actual sexual immorality. But it's also speaking here, as I was looking at commentaries and looking back into the Old Testament, um, this denotes spiritual harlotry. You think back in the Old Testament, when you look back at the book of Hosea, um, chapter 4 and chapter 5, if you look at some uh, of the Old Testament in the book of Judges, in the book of Ezekiel, it talks many, many times of the, uh, the nation of Israel um, committing um, unfaithfulness to God. And Israel, it says many times, had a spirit of whoredom because they were going after false idols and not worshiping the true God as they were commanded to. So this has um, a connotation of the nations of the world the Babylonian world system is guilty of false worship um, throughout the earth. And we see that all around us in our community and all around the world. False worship of gods that are not gods. Um, and they are not worshiping the one true God. And what is the ultimate, the ultimate fate of this in verse 14, this Babylonian world system? What's going to happen? What does verse 14 say? Coffee? Fallen. It has fallen. It, it's not going to last. It's temporary, right? Like all the, the nations of this world, they're temporary and they're going to fall. Um, you know, it's this, it says here, verse uh, here 14, they will make war on the Lamb, talking about the nations and the kingdoms of this world, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. So we see that this kingdom will not last. And all the kingdoms of the world, I don't know if you mentioned, if you saw earlier, um, it said there were um, seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, another is yet to come. You look at some of this uh, language, you go, what does this all mean? And, and John at this time, he was looking at the kingdoms of the earth. You think of um, the ones that had fallen, I think it was the Egyptians, um, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Medes and Persians, and the Greeks. These had all fallen that John is, is being revealed to him here. But then one is the Roman Empire. That would be number six. Number seven would be a revived Roman Empire. And then it says the Antichrist, he actually supposedly died and was brought back again. And that could be the eighth. So you're wondering some of these symbols and terms as you look into it, it, it does make sense that there were five that have fallen. And they're all guilty of this sexual immorality, this uh, whoredom, that they are unfaithful to the one true God and exercising um, false worship of false gods. Chapter 18 goes even further into Babylon. Chapter 18 describes the economic ruin coming upon the world um, through this world system. And we, we see here that during this time, and it, it's true of our time too, that people are involved in much greed, they're involved in much pride and living their lives in excessive economic luxury, uh, giving no um, thought to the things of God. So what instructions, as we look at this, um, I just, well, let me just read here for a moment what's going to happen to this um, part of the economic world. In chapter 18, verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, talking about Babylon, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. 
They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you, might, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. This is a great economic collapse at the time of the Great Tribulation. And I couldn't help but think back to um, something similar, maybe the 1929 stock market crash, where all of a sudden, in a very short time, everything collapsed in the economy here back in 1929. And it said people were so destitute at that time, some of the businessmen on Wall Street and down in New York City were actually jumping off of buildings. It's almost like you saved for your 401k all your life in the first day of retirement. You look on your computer and it shows a great big goose egg and everything is gone. And it's like, it was just a number, it's gone. And people become depressed and anguished. And this is what's gonna happen. In one hour, the judgment is gonna come, a great economic collapse. What instructions does God give his people in verse four in regards to their relationship to this evil economic world system? It's in uh, chapter 18, verse 4. What are the people of that time supposed to do? Yes, Cynthia, come out. Come out of this, uh, this world system, um, lest you share in her plagues um, and her sins. Come out, come out. And the question here, and I, I'm trying to think of some relevance to the time that we live in, and you know, we, we don't know. It says the time is soon. We could be moving into a time of greater tribulation as we go forward. But in what ways can we practice some separation from the greed and materialism of our current economic world? It's so easy to get dragged in to, um, you know, all that's going on out there. Anyone give thought to that as far as an answer and how we can safeguard ourselves from getting caught up in this economic world system of greed and selfishness and luxury? What are some safeguards? Jeff? Yeah, be content and grateful for what we have. And, uh, desire the word about material things. Absolutely. Yep. Very good. And uh, I, anything else we can think of that can be like a hedge against materialism in this world that we live in now? I, I just came up with a, a couple of... Um, other things here. I think when we're, um, we're giving to the Lord on a regular basis, there's kind of a hedge against materialism and, and greed. Um, I think discipline and financial restraint and, and how we use the things that God has given us too. I mean, one person can be out there and desiring to, to buy a boat and that's all they're thinking about all the time. And they go into great debt to purchase this boat. Another person can be a believer and, and they have the means to purchase a boat for their own enjoyment but also for the enjoyment of family um, to also maybe to entertain people who are lost and friends and, and take them out to enjoy this thing it, it's in some ways it's it's kind of a subjective in nature but I think we just need to see how do we use the things that God has given us and to use those things for God's glory so we need to be in our, our guard against uh, all greed and um, and exercise that discipline and restraint in our lives. Verse 20, chapter 18, verse 20. 
It says here, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her, speaking against Babylon. There's, as I'm reading the book of Revelation, when we look up at heaven, there seems to be a different um, attitude than that which is down on the earth. Down on the earth, there's, um, you know, people are just in anguish upon the things that are coming on the world. But up in heaven, when they see these things happening, there's jubilation, there's celebration, and that's going to go right into um, chapter 19. Chapter 19, as we read here in uh, verse 1, After this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just and he has judged the great prostitute. Once more, in verse 3, it says, They cried out again, Alleluia! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Alleluia! Which means, praise the Lord. Praise our God, all you his servants, who fear him, small and great, and then at the, um, the end of verse 6, after there were great, uh, it was a great multitude with a roar of many waters and peals of thunder, and they were crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. I, I like how the, the King James Version says, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Omnipotent reigneth. Um, there's this celebration in heaven. You know, the angels have been looking on this earth for thousands of years now, and they've seen the sin of the participants of those who are living on the earth. They've seen this great rebellion, and I think the angels in heaven are thinking, Lord God, how long can you wait and not judge this great rebellion on the face of the earth? But the Lord is, is patient. He is a one of steadfast love and mercy, and he is not wishing that any would... Um, perish, but that all would come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and come to a saving faith in him. But the angels have a hard time sometimes understanding this. And it, finally here in, in chapter 19, they're saying, Alleluia, it's done. The judgments are done. You're about to take your rightful reign here on the earth. The earth belongs to you. The, her, the heavens and the, the earth belong to you, Lord Jesus. And they're rejoicing that this time has finally come. And as we see in chapter 19, we see the Lord Jesus coming with great power and glory. Who are the participants between the marriage of the Lamb and his bride? As the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes to the earth. Oh, I gave away the one answer. The Lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, who, who is the bride in, in this chapter? The church. The church. That, that's us. Um, we are the bride, and the bride is clothed in fine linen. You think of uh, a wedding ceremony where the, um, you know, the bride is clothed in, in white. And you know, I remember seeing my wife come down the aisle, and you know, just with that smile on my face, and seeing how beautiful she looked coming down the aisle. And you know, the Lord Jesus Christ takes delight in us. We're dressed in that fine linen. Um, the bride is clothed in fine linen. What does this consist of according to uh, verse 8? Yes. 
someone, oh, Jeff, I'm sorry. The righteous deeds of the saints. Um, it, I was reading this, and um, it says in verse 8, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. When it says it was granted her to be dressed in this white linen, it says that those who are believers have dipped their robes in the blood of the Lamb. The only reason we have the right to wear this fine linen is we have been cleansed and washed in the blood of the Lamb. And I think here that the righteous deeds of the saints, their deeds follow them. It's like an offering we give up to God. We're not coming before him with our righteous deeds saying we are justified by our righteous deeds. No, we know scripture does not teach that. But we do know that we have been clothed uh, with these um, garments through the blood of the Lamb who has died for us and he was raised for our justification. And verse, uh, we see chapter, back in chapter 19 still, in verse 11, it says, I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and we go down, it says, by his name, which he is called the Word of God. The rider on the white horse is the Lord Jesus Christ, coming in great power to execute judgment on the earth. And that's according to verse 15. It says, from his mouth, as he comes with the saints, he comes with a sharp sword with which to strike the nations, and he executes judgment according to what? The sword coming from his mouth. And there's um, the great um, slaughter of those on the earth who are the enemies of God, who refuse to surrender to his will and bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, he will strike down the nations from that sharp sword that comes from his mouth in verse 15, and he will rule them with a rod of iron which goes back to Psalm uh, chapter 2, which says the promise that he will rule the nations with that rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Once again, we see here not only tread the winepress of the wrath of God, but the fury of the wrath of God. This is um, direct judgment that is coming on the people who still remain on the face of the earth. And in verse 16, it says, On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we saw back in um, verse 11, heaven was opened, and John is seeing this great revelation of this great time in history that's to come in the future. Remember what Jesus said? He said, the time is near. So we're closer than we've ever been to this time in history. And then we see also, we read earlier in Revelation about the, um, the, false, the, the beast and the false prophet, uh, the Antichrist and this false prophet. Well, we've seen the evil they've perpetrated on the earth reading through the book of Revelation, but it says they are thrown into the lake of fire. Um, very sobering as they are sent there to receive 
what is justly theirs, God's judgment. Moving along to um, chapter 20, we see here that the dragon, the ancient serpent who was the devil, he was bound for a thousand years after Jesus comes to the earth. We see another reference to a thousand years in um, verse 4. It says the, um, those who had, had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And we see um, later on in verse 7, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison for a short time. Thousand years, this refers to the millennial kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ here on the earth. And it's going to be, just quickly, there are some people who believe that the millennial kingdom, they believe that we're in what they call post-millennial, which means that we're living in the midst of the thousand-year kingdom. And there was a time when you had the Reformation, you had the revivals in the 17 and 1800s, you had the church uh, becoming more powerful around the, the early 1900s, and people are thinking, oh, this could be the time we're in the midst of this great millennial period. But then came World War I, the war, to end, the war to end all wars, but that wasn't true. We had World War II, and we've had no numerous wars since that time and, and still occurring throughout the world. And I don't see any wolves lying with lambs. I don't see any bears grazing with cows. I can't think that we're in the millennial period right now. There are some who say amillennial, which says that this is just all symbolic, um, the thousand years. But I don't believe that. When the Bible says 1,000 years, just like in Genesis when it says one day, when you have a number next to a period like a day or a number like a thousand next to years, that's the literal one day and the literal 1,000 years. So that, I say we're pre-millennial. We're not in that kingdom yet, that millennial kingdom. And, um, and also the plans for Israel. I think God has not forgotten his people Israel, and I think there's going to come a time. We saw the 144,000, you know, coming to a faith during the time of the tribulation. Um, God has not forgotten Israel. Those promises in the book of um, Isaiah, God has not forgotten um, his people in, in that way. So Satan was bound, people are resurrected for a thousand years, and then Satan is released for a short time. It's interesting, after a thousand years, Satan is released, and there are people that are, people are still having children during that thousand year period, and there's people that are coming to rebellion again after seeing Jesus reigning on the earth and seeing all these things. There's one last rebellion but it's very, very short-lived. It says that um, God, the Lord Jesus, destroys them with um, the flame coming from his mouth, and they will be destroyed very quickly at the end of that 1,000. All rebels will be um, destroyed at that time. And then it says there's a great white throne, the great white throne judgment. And this is the second resurrection, and those who will come before um, the Lord God to be judged. This is books were opened, um, and... There was another book that was the book of life. And it says everyone was judged according to what they had done in the books. Can you imagine going before the Lord God Almighty and being judged based on your own record? You don't want to be doing that. 
But for those whose names are in the, the Lamb's book of life, those are those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And uh, we need not fear God's judgment. But those who were judged according to what they had done, it says here, um, they were judged, each of them, at the end of chapter 20, verse 13, they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. Death and Hades were then thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in to the book, into the lake of fire. And the verse here was, how can these last few verses of chapter 20 give us an incentive in, in, in evangelism? Just knowing the plight of the people, right? Um, I think when you look for incentives in evangelism, the first thing is to be faithful to God and sharing the gospel. That's number one. But number two, we have a heart of compassion for those who are to perish someday in this awful lake of fire where the torment goes on forever and ever. Remember reading back in uh, college, uh, Jonathan Edwards, um, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he spoke that sermon in Enfield, uh, Connecticut. And he was a very low, monotone, almost uh, reading of his sermon. But it was so powerful describing God's judgment and his wrath that the people were in the pews weeping at the end of that sermon. And Jonathan Edwards did it out of love and compassion for the people in that congregation because he knew there were a number of people there who did not know Christ. And then you think of the Lord Jesus Christ, how patient God has been with sinners here on the earth. Jesus spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Bible, than any, any of the other prophets and any of the other apostles. It's out of love and out of a warning that God gives to the people of the earth. It's a warning of love, of the judgment that's coming. Escape and flee from the wrath of God that is to come. Flee to Christ. We read about the coming of the new earth and heavens along with the new Jerusalem in chapter 21. As we read here, what contrast do we see between the new creation compared to the present age in which we live? And I believe this was in uh, chapter 21. I pointed out some verses. Um, one, uh, verse 1, verse 4, verses 13 20 through 27. What things, um, copy, what, what's... There's no more sea. That, that's one thing, right? It, there'll be streams and, and rivers, but uh, no more sea, right? Anything else that we saw? A contrast to this coming world, to what we have now and, and the world that we have now. Be no more what? Death. No more death. You know, I, we hate the thought of death. We hate the thought of pain. I mean, pain sometimes is beneficial to us in this world. God uses it for his own means, but ultimately it's, we don't, you know, no more death, no more pain. And what's the result of uh, death when someone we love dies? We do what? No more crying, no more mourning. These things have passed away. These things are the former things. And these things will no longer be occurring. We also see here... Um, you know, it's going to be a time of transformation in the world. You know, it's going to be a beautiful world of peace, beauty, and love. Um, 
Psalm 1611 says, um, in God's presence there was fullness of joy. At his right hand there were pleasures forevermore. Um, what a contrast to the world we live in with so much hatred and violence and death and mourning and pain. One day those things will have passed away and we'll be living in peace uh, with God with much joy in his presence forever and ever. And that gives us great hope. Last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. I just wanted to jump ahead to this because this was so important when I was reading it. What warning is given to those who hear the words of this book? Uh, Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. What does God warn um, John? What does he war warn in extension all of us? Brenda. Right. That's, um, that's a warning to be taken very seriously. And what's the other uh, thing that he says about his word? Diane? Don't take away. Yep. Another uh, sober warning uh, for those here on this earth. And I, I think there were many present-day examples of this going on in our world. Can anyone think of examples that come to mind of people adding to God's word, um, maybe in the religious realm or taking away from God's word? Jehovah Witnesses, um, the cults, you know, Mormonism, denying the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, very serious thing to add to God's word or to take away from God's word. And I, I think we can, um, yeah, there was even one of our founding fathers that came to mind, uh, Thomas Jefferson, when he was reading his Bible. He would actually cut out the portions of the Bible that spoke of his, Jesus, his miracles, and his deity. Um, that's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. And we're warned, don't add to God's word and don't take away from his word. This is the full revelation that we've read here in the New Testament. We'll be reading the Old Testament in the next year. This is the full revelation of God. Don't take away from it and don't add to it. Okay, what words of hope do we derive from this last chapter of the Bible? And I, I mentioned some verses here. What are some hopeful things that we see here in the last chapter of the Bible that give us this great hope? It talks about a tree. What is the tree there that it mentions in, um, in chapter 22? It's the tree of, tree of life, and we're going to be able to eat. The nations will find their healing in the tree of life. Um, you know, the tree of life was banned back in uh, the early chapters of Genesis, but once more. And I love here that the first verse here, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And then it talks about the tree of life. I think of this wonderful, sparkling river coming down from the city of Jerusalem and just giving life. And this going to be, apparently there's going to be some reference to nations, even in this new uh, creation. It spoke about the new heaven and the new earth, new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And this new Jerusalem, it talked about the actual size of the city. I didn't mention this earlier. But it says it's, um, I think it was 12,000 stadia, I believe it was. But that's... 
that's equivalent to 1,380 miles wide, 1,380 miles high. So imagine Boston to St. Louis and Boston to Miami and the same height. This is the city coming down from Jerusalem, from heaven to New Jerusalem um, that is coming to the earth. Um, one person said they figured it out and they said that will give us about 75 acres per person to enjoy in this, uh, this new city. Um, and it says there will no longer be anything accursed. The throne of the Lamb and God will be in it and his servants will worship him, will continue in worship, will continue serving God in this new heaven and this new earth. <clears throat> Verse 6, it says, these words are trustworthy and true. Some people may read the book of Revelation and the word of God and say, well, how could this happen? It, it just doesn't make sense to me. This, this is too much. It says here, not only does he say it once, but when God says something twice, he's making an emphasis, a point. He's saying, these words are trustworthy and true. It's going to happen. Um, you can trust me. He says, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 9, once again, the admonition to John and all of us. Keep the words of this book. Worship God. It goes on to say, for the time is near. Behold, I am coming soon. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. But outside are those who have not trusted Christ and are involved in all sorts of abominations and sins, and they have no right to this city. But as we saw earlier, um, you know, be, to be thrown into the, the lake of fire. But in verse 17, it says, The spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. The gift of salvation is a free gift. The drink of those waters like Jesus offered the woman in uh, chapter 4 of uh, the book of John. I have water to give that you'll never be thirsty again. Drink of this water and have everlasting, full and abundant and joyous life, a life of peace. And then in verse 20, it says here, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And I, <clears throat> in the last two chapters, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb, I think six or seven times. And, you know, remember John Newton's song, We've Been There 10,000 Years, is bright. Uh, we'll, we'll be there worshiping God 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, worshiping him and praising him for eternity. But I think in all eternity, say, 30,000 years, 30 billion years, we'll be looking back and remembering what the Lamb has done for us. We'll be looking the cross, that everlasting memorial of what Christ has done for us to allow us to take part in his blessings, everlasting life, and being with God forever and ever. So we are thankful to God for all he has given to us. His words are trustworthy and true. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let us uh, bow in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that you are a faithful and good God that your promises are trustworthy and true. And Father, for the time we have remaining here on this earth, I pray that you would help us to be watching and ready 
and faithful and living holy lives that would be pleasing to you. Father, we thank you for um, this past year and being able to, to read through the New Testament for just helping us to understand more and more of your plan for our lives and just revealing to us your great glory and your power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go in to the new year, help us to be faithful in reading your word, to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the word of God may dwell in us richly, that um, your peace may rule in our hearts and that we would be a testimony to the world that you are a good and a faithful God. And we pray along with all the saints, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we say amen and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.